0: My husband loves him some Ritual. His little tum-tum can get off. His little microbiome, it says, help me. Enter Ritual. They created a three-in-one supplement, including clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support the relief of mild and occasional bloating, gash, and diarrhea. I really like Ritual because they prioritize sustainably sourced and traceable ingredients. I love to take my Symbiotic Plus every morning along with my hot tea or coffee because I feel like it helps me start the day off right. I also love that Ritual has industry-leading sustainability standards. Ritual uses scientific tools to select lower carbon packaging, prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients, and set ambitious climate goals. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 20% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com curious. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com/curious for 20% off. Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Veness, and every week I sit down for a 40-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by the host of the Happiness Lab podcast and professor of psychology at Yale University, Dr. Lori Santos, where I ask her, "How can we become less of grumpy nightmares?" <laughs> Welcome to Getting Curious, this is Jonathan Beness. I'm so excited to introduce this week's guest, Dr. Lori Santos. Lori, welcome!
1: Thanks so much for having me on the show.
0: Is it okay if I call you Lori?
1: Yes, of course, of course.
0: Okay, so I think you probably have one of the most interesting jobs ever. You are a professor at Yale, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and you teach a course on...
1: Happiness. How to be happy. The science of happiness
0: the science of happiness, honey, I'm very curious about this. It's like, <laughs> how it, it, I the, the wider question is, and you're the perfect person to answer it is, can we train our brains to be happier?
1: Yes, the answer is definitely yes. That's what the science suggests. And I think this is super important, because sometimes we think that happiness is just built in, right? Like you're just genetically going to be an optimistic person or not. And that's all there is. Or we think that happiness is about our circumstances, right? Like you need to become rich and famous and, you know, get a yacht and then you'll be happy. But otherwise, you know, you're just out of luck. But what the data suggests is that we can control a lot of our happiness through our mindsets and through our behaviors.
0: So what are when you say the data suggests yeah and where do we get said data
1: yeah good like pull me out on my nerdy <laughs> my data suggests yeah so most. no of this, i didn't mean to call out but no you know no totally, what I mean. it's like, totally yeah no the the it, it's it's tricky right because like how do you take a scientific approach to happiness and in some ways it feels like it should be more a philosophy like how can you do rigorous research on this but most of the ways the the studies go is that the Researchers just f- go out and find happy people. Like you can find them. Y- you might be one of their subjects, JVN. <laughs> you know, it's like, but they find these, Yeah, they find these happy folks, and then they just kind of figure out what they do. You know, how do they behave? What jobs do they have, and so on? Then you get. I'm so, sorry, no,
0: I'm so, sorry, I'm so sorry, my cat. I thought she was gonna be fucking quiet and like a little angel because she normally is, but she's scratching the hell out of this hamper, and I feel like <laughs> pause. Can, pause. She's well. She's just. Can we see her? I'm such I'm, a kitty fan. Oh, yes. Super cute. Come here lady G or just be quiet. Okay, I scared. she's kind of a she'll, she will, she here she's right here.
1: Let's see. Hey Kitty. Can can you see her? <laughs> yeah, she's like white or like yellow or something. Yes, yes. yes.
0: She's like a she's a rescue but she looks like she was like very expensive honey she's one of those um, flame point Siamese (laughs) anyways okay but I think she's done making noise I'm so sorry Okay. so anyway yes so the data suggests
1: the data suggests yes so what researchers do is they try to go out and they find happy people and then they just try to figure out what these happy people are doing differently like do they behave different do they have different jobs like and then once you get hints about what the happy people do then the scientists get not so happy people they make them do the stuff that the happy people were doing and then they measure whether they get happier and those Measurements are kind of tricky. They're usually just self-report. I basically just ask you before and after, you know, how satisfied are you with your life? How much positive mood do you have during your day? And then you tell me, and then I see if those things change over time.
0: So it's kind of how Brene Brown did her research a little bit.
1: Exactly. Yeah. She's one of the many positive psychologists that use these tools. And what's great is that we have like almost three decades worth of data of scientists who've been doing this stuff. So we actually have lots of insights about the kinds of things that really do work for improving happiness.
0: Because not only are you a psychologist, but you're also a cognitive scientist.
1: Yes. We, we like big terms in our field. I love that important. term. <laughs> so
0: what I mean, what is Break that down for us. A cognitive scientist, honey. What does it mean?
1: So cognition is just like how we think and how we make decisions and the way we do that. It's almost like folks who are trying to figure out, like, what's the computer program for how our mind works? And we try to do that scientifically, right? We, like, literally do experiments and how people think. And this is super important because I think if if we want to improve our well-being, we need to know more about the glitches of our mind. We need to know what parts of our mind and our habits are leading us astray because that's the only way we're going to get better. That's the only way we're going to improve things.
0: So... When you study the or when you study this and like happiness amongst people, have you noticed any differences amongst um like a gender approach to happiness? like do w- more women typically seem to be more happy than men, or also like by country and like culture?
1: Yeah, yeah. Not so many gender differences, actually. And and that's true in general in cognitive science. Like you'd think there'd be lots of gender differences, but typically there's lots more like variants, lots more differences within gender than there is across gender. You know, some happy guys, some not so happy guys, some happy gals, not so happy gals, and so on. So there's
0: not more happy women than happy men.
1: Exactly, exactly. But there are substantial differences across countries where you look at some Nordic countries like in Scandinavia, and they're reporting way higher happiness levels than, say, in the U.S. right now. And, you know, why that is, is kind of a big question. Part of it has to do a little bit with things like inequality and, you know, the structures of different countries. But a lot of it has to do with how those different places are behaving. So the Nordic folks do a lot of savoring. They're like really mindful in those kind of cold months. They have a ton more social connection and less loneliness than, say, the United States. And so there are differences in country to country happiness levels, but they seem to not just be that one country is inherently better. They're just like doing the right stuff for building up people moods over time
0: is there like a list for like the 10 saddest countries
1: (laughs) uh you know it might be kind of the ones you think again you know horrible oppression you know a lot of poverty that doesn't help but i'll more focus on the happy ones which are really again places like you know sweden and denmark even places like costa rica um have big boosts in happiness because again they're kind of focusing on the stuff where that really works for building people's moods
0: Okay, so I don't know if it's because I'm in quarantine or, you know, what's going on. Well, you know, social isolation, like, you know, because everyone is. But it's like, um, is there a possibility that the people who report on the happiness in the happier places? I'm being devil's advocate. I don't know why, honey. Is there, could there be like a cultural reason for why they would report like more happiness in places? Because like culturally, like you just like should or like is like, is there ever, is there ever like pressuring in the reporting? Or does that, is that not the point? Because the point is like trying to get happier.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's actually something. I mean, we're nerdy scientists, so we worry a lot about our measures and not just with the country by country data, even just individually. Like if I ask you today, you know, Jonathan, how happy are you? Like, you know, that could be affected by all kinds of things. Are you really giving me an accurate report that I can trust? The good news is that those nerdy scientists have gone out and they have tested. And what you find is that these self-reported happiness measures correlate with all this stuff You'd want them to correlate with, so they'd correlate with if I did some detailed textual analysis of all your social media posts, and and if you had a diary and I went through and checked, it would match that. It would match what your friends and family report about you. So if I did these detailed interviews of your family members and I said, "How's Jonathan feeling right now?" They would match what you said, and even they match onto different neuroscientific measures and hormone measures and stuff. So it's funny because like when you when you ask people these questions, it sounds like a kind of crappy buzzfeed quiz honestly but actually they're real scientific instruments that are tapping into people's deeper senses of how life is going
0: and really i mean because at the end of the day like a study or like anything that's like science it's like you're measuring a bunch of like you're measuring and you're this is you're just measuring you're just measuring things that are more uh they're not numbers like they can be more subjective so it's like it just it's yeah that's just such an interesting um field okay so when it comes to happiness, we have we once talked to this neuroscientist who I really like um, on Getting Curious, and I was saying, like, why is it that the negative experiences just stick with us so much more than the positive ones? It's like, I'll have so, just loads of, like, loving, adoring comments, and my brain is fixated on like the one person that's disapproving or like, you know, you could have done a more sustainable choice on that or like whatever. That I'm like, you don't know me. And this is so fucking hard. Ah! You know? So why, why, why is that?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that is that is evolution's fault, honestly, because, you know, what it's so sh-
0: at least it's not mine. It's
1: not your fault. Yeah, it's just evolution's fault. And I'm totally with you. Actually, this morning, I, I had a comment from somebody who said my voice was really dumb. And, you know, I should just be like, no, my voice isn't dumb. I'm a Yale professor I have like, you know, tons of people listening to my podcast. It's fine. But of course, that's like the one thing needling around like. But anyway, but but the reason is because of evolution, right? We Over time, evolution wanted us to find the scary stuff, the tigers, the bad stuff out there. And so it's it's willing to have minds that throw away all the good comments, right? Because you don't need to worry about those. But those scary things, those things that could a- affect our success or you know our, our survival, those things stick around. And so our mind is prone to what's called a negativity bias, whereas when there's negative things, we don't just notice them more. We suck on, to, you know, like hold on to them <sighs> deeply and in a hard way. Way.
0: Oh my God, that's so it. Yeah, it's that that it's the it's the amygdala, honey. She's sensing the threats.
1: Exactly, exactly. And 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 it's useful, you know. If you're you know some hunter gatherer worried about getting eaten by a tiger, you know it, it sucks when you're you know a fashion designer who's getting the one bad comment about sustainable choices. But you know your mind can't tell the difference.
0: Oh my God, do you watch that show Alone?
1: I haven't watched it actually. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> they take 10 people, survivalists, and mm-hmm. they only get to take 10 things, like, you know, some floss, a bow and arrow, whatever. And they drop them in the middle of like Patagonia, Vancouver, like all these places. And whoever lasts the longest wins half a million dollars. And mm-hmm. it just it's it which is a lot of that like, you know, reptilian survival brain. It just reminds me of that. And there was this one guy who was a happiness. Like he like well, He's a teacher, and he's always saying, like, you know, you got to choose your circumstances. You got to choose happiness. And he ended up leaving on, like, the third day, which (laughs) I thought was kind of a lull. I was, like, so excited for him. And then he, like, ended up leaving really quickly. But so anyway, so the negativity bias, it was really to save us from wolves, but now it's driving us crazy.
1: Yeah. And it's super, it it emerges really early. Like, there's some evidence from... Studies that look at really young babies. So, three month old babies, they show them a little puppet show where one character in the puppet show is nice and one is mean. And what they find is that babies like start paying more attention to the mean one. They discriminate the mean one even before they Wait, start. Wait, discrimin- say that again. Yeah. So, babies who watch these puppet shows and they see one puppet who's nice and one puppet who's mean and they start avoiding the mean puppet even before they start seeking out the nice puppet. And so this negative this negativity bias isn't just built in. It seems to emerge really early like even poor little babies are falling prey to the negative stuff early on.
0: Like it's like they're like I just cannot risk this negative experience.
1: Yeah, it's like you have to tag the negative stuff. Even their brains are paying attention to the negative stuff, which sucks. And I think this is one of the reasons we need the science, right, is that we need tools to get around this stuff. You know, we're not in some, you know, on, on a loan or stuck in some place where we have to worry about tigers. You know, we're just dealing with negativity of like dumb comments and silly stuff. So if we had strategies to deal with that and accept it and roll with the punches, we'd probably be a lot happier in our modern day environments.
0: Okay, so sometimes when people say really like horrific stuff to me online, I think to myself, I'm like, okay, this is just the price you're paying for like your dreams coming true and you're like and that you want to use your voice still. And there's like consequences to that because it's a really big place and I have, like a bigger platform now, so like the stuff I say has like, you know, it has like bigger ripples and stuff. Yep. But I worry about that a lot too. So it's like when I'm stuck in that or when any of us are stuck in you know, that a negative, whatever, what are the tools?
1: Yeah. So one of the tools is, is what folks in the kind of mindfulness literature call acceptance, right? Which is basically just that this idea that, look, there's going to be bad comments out there. There's going to be negative stuff. There's going to be worse than bad comments. You know, right now we're in the midst of this pandemic. There's bad stuff, but we have some control over how we react to that bad stuff. There's this there's this parable called the second arrow that Buddha, the Buddha talked about. And the is that Buddha asks his disciples, um, you know, if you're walking down the street and someone hits you with an arrow, is that bad? And people say, yeah, it's super bad. It's like, well, if somebody hit you with a second arrow, would that be worse? People are like, yeah, that'd be worse to get hit with a second arrow. And then Buddha says, the first arrow is all the bad stuff, the negative comments, you know, the stuff we can't control. That's out of our hands. But the second arrow... That's our reaction to it. That's if we get super upset and, you know, we like, you know, like, you know, go on Twitter and give some hate and like are pissed off for like the whole day. And Buddha points out the second arrow is on us. Like we get to control what our reaction is. And so that's where acceptance comes in. Acceptance is this practice of being like, huh, how do I how does that comment make me feel? It's making me tight in my chest. It's making me a little mad. Can I just sit with that and watch it kind of be there? Let it go away and just not make it worse
0: uh that's so good so wait how oh my god we're gonna take a really quick break no i don't want to take a break i'm getting so many good things uh, okay we're gonna take a really quick break we'll be right back with more getting curious after this my husband loves him some ritual his little tum-tum can get off his little microbiome it says help me Enter Ritual. They created a three-in-one supplement, including clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support the relief of mild and occasional bloating, gash, and diarrhea. I really like Ritual because they prioritize sustainably sourced and traceable ingredients. I love to take my Symbiotic Plus every morning along with my hot tea or coffee because I feel like it helps me start the day off right. I also love that Ritual has industry-leading sustainability standards. Ritual uses scientific tools to select lower carbon packaging, prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients, and set ambitious climate goals. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 20% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash curious. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash curious for 20% off. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. We have Dr. Lori Santos, happiness professor, cognitive scientist, psychologist, um, and professor extraordinaire. So what happened? Like you were, where are you from?
1: I grew up in New Bedford, Massachusetts, um, which is the town in Moby Dick. It's like a kind of sort of working class town in Massachusetts. It's yeah.
0: So you're minding your own business. You like realize that you want to become like a cognitive scientist, like and psychologist, you know, and 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 then you end up like, you know, you teach at Yale. It's like kind of a major school. obs. So it's like, how did you realize that you wanted to study this and I guess. And then also, how long have you been studying it? And then the third thing is, because you've always taught like college age students, right? Yeah. So what have you, what have you, has there been a shift? Is there a change? What are like, and okay, so answer that. And then I'll ask like the rest of my 80,000 questions. Okay,
1: perfect, perfect. Yeah. So, uh, so I've always been fascinated by human minds because human minds are really fascinating, right? Like that's the seat of how we like fall in love and make bad habits and, and understanding that has always been really cool. I got into the happiness work relatively recently, though, just in the last four years. And that started in my role at at Yale. So I'm not just a professor where I teach students in the classroom. I became one of their heads of college, which means I'm I'm kind of like a, a den mother to students. I live on campus with students. And that meant I was seeing them like a little bit more in the trenches. You know, I'm eating with them in the dining hall and hanging out with them. And the happiness stuff started because I was just seeing this mental health crisis that everybody's talking about in the news up close and personal. Like so many of the students I was interacting with were depressed or stressed or just like seeming like like mortgaging their future on all these things and kind of not paying attention to what was happening in the here and now. And so I just was really frustrated. I mean, this was like a community that I cared about. And so the happiness work started because I wanted to teach them what to do to be better. I wanted to give them strategies that came from the science that could really help.
0: Just jumping in here quickly for a very important content warning. The following conversation for the next minute includes a discussion about depression, anxiety, and suicide. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health or suicidal thoughts, please seek help by reaching out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. If you need to skip this part of the conversation, please move forward about a minute and a half. Thank you.
1: And so so that was kind of where it came from. And then kind of to get to your other question, you know, what is going on with the students today? Like, they're kind of messed up. Like, they're just, I mean, the rates of, the national rates of mental health crises are just staggering. So over 40% of college students right now report being too depressed to function most days. Almost 70% say that they're overwhelmingly anxious. And more than one in 10 has seriously considered committing suicide in the last year, which is like awful and those things are relatively new and so yeah so there is like a big change 10
0: percent is a huge amount of people who have seriously contemplated suicide
1: yeah like i sometimes look out in my big classrooms of like 100 students and in my brain it's like oh like well that whole section might be really having some suicidal ideation right now which is scary and and it raises this question of what you know what happened like what are we doing wrong like where did this crisis come from
0: yeah, I was going to ask, do, like, what were those rates like 10 years ago, 20 years ago?
1: Yeah, well, we know, we know for some of them, and they're kind of just getting worse. Like, so the worst one is depression. So that number has doubled just in the last nine years, um, which kind of puts into perspective what's going on. Like, you know, the, It's not like things have gotten so much less stigmatized in less than a decade. Um, you know, so it really raises this question of what's, what's changed? Why, is, why are we facing such a horrible crisis right now?
0: So acceptance is a key in helping with happiness. I know in, in my time of uh, being a yoga teacher and, and being just a big yogi, like, you know what you resist persists and what you accept flows. And I've experienced that in my life in you know, so many ways, but it's, it's really frustrating because I still struggle with it like a lot. And I see ways that I struggle with it like a lot. So Okay, well, actually, okay, that was one road that I want to go down, and I do want to go down that road, but I also want to go down this other road. So, I, I, okay, so obviously we're going through a political time right now, and I just think that it's so I'm obviously, I think like a lot of people trying to like grapple with like, you know, Joe Biden, he is gonna be our vice president, or he is our, he is our nominee. And, you know, I did a tour, uh, a comedy tour all through America and all, actually all over the world. But I did this thing where I would compare the United States to this incredible, like, artistic roller figure skating pairs team. And in this one performance, they do, like, a pretty shaky, wobbly short and they have two major crashes and I falls. And I compare those to the election of Donald Trump and then basically everything that they did for the first two years of the administration then the same team comes back and does this incredible performance and i compare that to our midterm election and then i set it up to this whole thing of like the 2020 elections like who do we want to be do we want to be this like hard-working team that like gets up after a fall and like does really well or do we want to like not train as much and like put our twizzle in the first half of the program and like fall 27 times and be really sloppy like who do we want to fucking be so then in the middle of that i would do this thing about like this this like i said like we had the most diverse presidential candidates in history and then i would say each one like one at a time and the crowd would just cheer and cheer and cheer and go crazy and obviously i think most of the people that come to my shows are like collegey you know 18 to like 35 you know as the majority but everyone comes but i think that's the majority i'm getting to a point i swear to god so when i would get to joe biden everyone would start booing And it was, like, I mean, sometimes, and then, and and some of those, I'd be like, don't boo, y'all. Like, he was, like, marriage equality's, like, kind of the first mainstream voice. Like, so, like, yeah, I don't want him to win either, necessarily, the nomination. Like, I'm for Warren, but, like, we can't boo for him. He's on our team. Um, And now he won the fucking nomination, which I think is pretty shocking. But what I'm worried about is there's so many young people who are so disillusioned and are so disappointed about it but i also see a lot of content on twitter and on instagram that really is equating him with like a trump with like a he's a rapist he's a this he is like you know like and while he does have sexual assault allegations against him and i they sound really inappropriate and wrong and but when but when you're weighing you know, what Donald Trump's ramifications of a Supreme Court justice are going to do and what all of his policies would do versus like a Biden team and what those would do for the most vulnerable people, especially young people, student loans, healthcare, so many things that we care about, the environment. It's like, I'm just concerned that young people won't be able to see the forest through the trees and will get disillusioned. And really, it's like so much of this news, it is crazy making it makes you unhappy yeah and really the only way we can change it is to vote but if people can't see the context beneath, neither because like i'm not excited to particularly again i wanted warren but like she's going to be like all up in the financial bureau if he wins you know and bernie's going to be able to push things super left all of them are going to be able to make it so much better than trump together I'm done talking. I'm sorry. That was like a five-minute rant. Yeah, no, but no. But
1: you're I'm around you. all also... these people
0: all the time, and no, I'm no, worried about yeah. it.
1: Yeah, no, I'm worried about it, too. And I'm also a Warren, a Warren girl, too. So, you know, sharing sharing you the were. morning with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so I think a couple of threads there. One is, um, you know, I think this is the problem with a generation that's just so incredibly anxious, right, is because they are just prone to sort of see threats. Um, I think the other part of this generation is that, you know, the, we, we're living a lot of our life online. Which doesn't help with the things we do really well as a species, which is to like be empathic and to hear people's perspective and people's point of view. You know, when you're just getting these tiny when you're just getting these tiny sound bites, you know, Biden is a sexual assaulter or something like that. It's it's really hard to see the forest for the trees. And so, I think what we need to do is to think of ways that we can harness the human mind to become more empathic, more perspective-taking in this new environment that we find ourselves in with, you know, this 24-hour news cycle and things coming in and things being so tribal. The good news is that the psychology suggests that there's really good ways to do this, um, one of them is just convincing ourselves that we're actually good at this. Um, there's some lovely work by Jamil Zaki, who's a professor at Stanford, who who's been looking at what our own theories are of our own empathy. You know, are our, our young people, you know, just really, you know, the kind of people who are just going to get blindsided and say, you know, well, screw Biden, I'm not going to vote, or are they the kind of people who, you know, can sort of rise to the occasion and say, you know, maybe there's a common enemy and we should all work together? The, his data and, and and the others seem to suggest that our own theories. Of of our own empathy and our own theories of our own tribalism kind of matter a lot, and so that's one of the reasons. Whenever I get to talk about this, I point out like, no, no, no. There's there's data that we really can increase our empathy over time. There's data that we really can decrease our tribalism over time, because then that gives us hope. Um, you know, these these kind of tiny the in some ways, the the yucky stuff, the more tribal stuff, the more bad stuff is the thing that comes in our face in the news and our social media feeds all the time. But actually, if you look, more people are actually a lot more reasonable than the caricature that we put forward. And so we need to kind of believe that because I think the more we talk about that part, the better it's going to be in general, but especially the better it's going to be in the election coming up too.
0: So in terms of COVID-19 and fucking election 2020, which you know, two fucking massive fucking public health emergencies and, like, you know, crises like we have literally not seen in a long time. How can we all be happier slash, like, help each other and make better decisions together?
1: Yeah, it's a super, super important question. I think the first thing we need to do is have a little bit of self-compassion because I think that is super critical right now. I think... You know, we're not firing on all cylinders in the midst of this mess and we're feeling panicked and kind of scared and so on. Um, I watch my college students fall prey to this. You know, so many of them send me like little screenshots of their Insta stuff and they're like, everyone wants me to like, you know, be starting a new fitness regimen or be perfect, perfect in the context of quarantine and like, ah, and it's like, no, don't like just, ha- just do what you can do right now. So I think like that's kind of thing number one is just to validate that this sucks, that it's really scary, that our it's unprecedentedly scary. And that means we just need to, like, give ourselves a little break every now and then. Um, but kind of with that, I think now is the time to double down on all the stuff that we know works for happiness. And that's things like taking time for social connection. That's not, you know, panic scrolling your Insta feed about the election or COVID-19. It's, you know, finding ways to use technology to like connect with your friends, like do a yoga class with a friend in New York. Like I've been doing dinner with friends in different time zones. I've gotten together and done spa nights with my uh, friends from college. And we like, you know, do masks and do our hair and stuff. And it sounds super silly, but like those tiny little moments of savoring are what's going to keep us, us sane so that we can get through this stuff. Um, the other thing, thing is to double down on all our healthy habits so things like exercise meditation you know having a stable routine like getting up and showering in the morning like all the stuff that normally kind of keeps us sane and happy those things are going to be even more important during this kind of really like uncertain crazy time of COVID-19.
0: Yeah I mean I know for me when I was really in the throes of like my depression and like really having just like my worst bouts which like I was 25 26 and you know I, there was a time I mean my apartment was filthy I like didn't open mail for like months and months and months at a time like I was like I had just contracted HIV I was like in a bad way like I mean I think in 2012 I think I made like ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars like I was all in all sorts of like I mean I was like you know couldn't afford apartments like was moving around it was like a really bad way and it's like Even just getting a routine that wasn't self-destructive felt impossible.
1: Yeah.
0: And so it's like, you know, short of, you know, starting like, uh, it's like doing what you can. It's like if someone is in the throes of depression or really having like a, a mental health crisis, like where can someone start?
1: Yeah, I think the babyest, tiniest of baby steps can be incredibly powerful. Um, if one of the things you're experiencing right now is anxiety, which both on the election side and the fear about that, and on the COVID nineteen side, many of us are feeling. Like I personally have to keep checking my temperature because I'm like I'm my, I have such shortness of breath because my chest is so tight. Like maybe I have COVID. It's like no, I'm just like anxious. Like that's what anxiety yeah. does to your body, you know. But I think um, if you're in that state, a really or easy... you're an asymptomatic carrier. <laughs> (laughs) i have shortness
0: of fucking breath too every time i like go like i hauled this mattress up the stairs the other day and then i was out of breath and i was like i have it and then i was like no girl you just carried a mattress and a box ring on your back up the spine of stairs but then it's like maybe a year ago i could have done that not been breathed out but yeah that's the anxiety talking isn't it you don't probably got it. i don't probably have it you know this is the anxiety
1: And then we don't deal with that right, right? Because instead of being like, okay, we're just fine. It was just the mattress. It's like, well, let me check the symptoms online of COVID again. And let me see how many people in New York have it. And then we spike our... And then let me
0: sterilize my fucking counter again because I know that cardboard fucking touched that thing. (laughs) Exactly. No, I know it did, like last week. And and then on that cruise ship, it had been living in their cabins for three weeks And when they went back in, you know, in Japan, like back in February. So, yeah.
1: so all, those, all those things, all those things, basically what you're doing is you're spiking your body's sympathetic nervous system. So that's the no, no, fight no. or flight. Like, it's Inga. like your chest is beating and your muscles get tight. And And the irony of that is that when you have higher sympathetic nervous activity, it actually screws with your immune system. It actually makes it more likely that you're going to get sick. And so yeah. what we need to so so the baby step, if people are feeling overwhelmed, is just take two minutes or one minute to stop the sympathetic nervous system and basically the way you do that is just with deep breaths like so everybody's like oh just take you know one you know one like conscious breath but like actually taking one conscious breath kicks in the other system the parasympathetic nervous system that's the rest and digest that's the thing that promotes immune function and sexual health and lets you digest stuff and we have there's not like a lot of ways we can control it but there is one which is that if you breathe deeply in your belly you actually activate this thing called the vagus nerve which is the the part is the nerve in our in our body that's like hey turn on the rest and digest cuz things are cool like no tigers chasing you if you're really breathing deeply in your belly and taking a really long exhale so like cool like shut that off and so so that's my baby step for the people who are just like you know you can't get up and you're in the throes of that stuff you were going through in your 20s is like just right now if you're listening to this take a big you know deep in the belly and then super slow out and you can feel what that feels like after one. But if you do that for a minute, it will be really powerful. If you set a little timer to do that for a minute, you know, once an hour, it'll feel even better. And it doesn't just feel better. You're literally changing on which systems in your body are on and off.
0: Um every hour, I like that challenge. That's gorgeous. Or whenever you
1: think about it, whenever you don't for me, I try to do it whenever I notice that I'm like again the like mattress up the stairs feeling we're like oh, my chest is really tight that's cuz I'm activating the wrong system so just take a break
0: um speaking of taking a break we need to take a break so what a gorgeous segue um if you're driving don't do like a minute of mindfulness if you're in the middle of on the road but you're probably not driving as much listening to the podcast now as you used to be so maybe on this uh, commercial break you could do a minute of mindfulness like um, you know Dr. Santos just suggested and um, you know we're going to be right back with some commercials Recently, I've been having some stomach problems. Everyone that I talked to recommended that I take a bunch of different supplements and vitamins, but it's kind of complicated to keep track of that many different pills and powders every day. So I decided to give AG1 a try because I wanted a single solution that supports my gut health while also supporting my immune and brain health. AG1 covers my bases with high quality ingredients like pre and probiotics, adaptogens, antioxidants, and whole food sourced nutrients. AG1 also replaces my multivitamin, my pre-probiotic, and my supplements to support energy and focus. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com curious. That's drinkag1.com curious. Check it out. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. We welcome back Dr. Lori Santos. So I think that's a really powerful baby step, mindfulness. And there is so much medical science behind the the power of mindfulness for so many different ailments, which is, you know, really, um, you know, incredible. So um, what are some of the other things that, well, actually, no, yes, but no. So you too host a very incredible podcast that so many people listen to. And if you are listening to our podcast now and you have not listened to Dr. Lori Santos's podcast, you need to, honey, it's called The Happiness Lab. Gorgeous title.
1: Thank you. <laughs> yes.
0: And congratulations on just on the success of your podcast. And um, I just think it's such an incredibly important topic to talk more about because There's so much anxiety and depression. And so what is the Happiness Lab about? How did you start it? Um, Tell us everything.
1: Yeah, so the Happiness Lab is a whole podcast about what you can do to feel happier through science. And the basic premise is that the big problem is that our minds are lying to us about the things that make us happy. You know, we think we need to be working harder. We think we need to get all this money. We think we need to get all these accolades. Um, My students think they need perfect grades. And it turns out that all those things are complete lies of the mind, as we say, like our mind is actively telling us the wrong stuff. And that's a problem because that means there's an opportunity cost. Like we're not putting our effort into the stuff that really is gonna work, that really is gonna make us happy. And so yeah, each episode just kind of goes through a different lie of the mind, a different spot where we're getting it wrong and ways that we can do better. So offer offers some straightforward practical tips that are useful generally, but I think are especially useful in this time of COVID-19 slash, you know, the 2020 elections coming up and we're all just kind of feeling even more anxious and uncertain than usual.
0: Okay, so can we work through one of mine?
1: Yeah, please, let's do it.
0: Okay, so, all right, yesterday on Twitter, <laughs> I was like, I, oh, well, a couple days ago on Twitter, when um, Senator Sanders dropped out of the presidential race, I basically said, I was like, thank you so much for all of the work that you did and for pushing the party so left. And then I said to all of your supporters, um, I know how hard this day is. For you but like i hope we can all come together basically it was nice but then i went off on some of like the mean people and the replies i couldn't help it i just like dipped my toe in and then i couldn't help it and i was just you know so basically I, then i was like a little obsessive compulsive rechecking but it was like i cut it off after like an hour but it's like is the key to just never do that or it's like but sometimes when i do it because it's like sometimes people say such because cr- it's like okay just diving back into the Biden and Trump of it all. I do think that he's someone who like had two young sons die and like a crash or a tragic car accident and like maintained like public service, like through that. And I do think at the end of the day, he has done some things that were not good, but I also think he's been an honest person and he's been someone who has, when he has messed up, I feel like he has taken responsibility for it, which I think, and which everything with Anita Hill and everything with the 1994 prison stuff, it's like, it's all Fucked up. It's bad, like it's bad. But I I mean, but when I think about Trump, it's like it's honest leadership with faults or snake oil, Mm -hmm. and it's like getting he and it's to me it's so clear that Trump is like really playing all of these kids with with headlines and sound bites because you know on one side he calls Joe Biden a Democratic socialist and we can't you know ever have socialists, but then on the other side he says that like that. Like he he does like contradicting arguments that like confuse people and people will take things kind of like out of context from like my past or like things that have like that really like not that I didn't have fault in them, but just things that like don't really pertain here and just will say really hateful, mean shit that doesn't help any of us get to a point which is like the point is that we're trying to help people make sure that they have access to more people have access to healthcare which if we go with Biden, they will. If we go with Trump, they won't.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I mean lots of things here. One is one is advice for you about how to navigate those situations, right? Which is and I think it just gets back to mindfulness, which is that on mass you just need to be paying attention to how this makes you feel, right? You know, should you never do it again? Like maybe on mass getting a couple of those good comments balances out the bad ones, but if what you notice is like, you know, your chest is tight and you're angry and you're like mean to your cat afterwards and like it totally ruins your day, then that might be a time to like rethink your behavior. I'm but- not mean to my cats,
0: but okay. <laughs> my jaw does get tight and I get like, I just get really down and frustrated because I it's yeah. I feel like Twitter is a really hard place to really get through to people.
1: Yeah. And then it's, then it's also, I mean, I think that that's just true of so many of the technologies we use right now. Like we are human primates that are meant to talk, not even like we're talking right now over zoom, but like face to face where we see each other's expressions. We're not used to be doing 140 characters. Like, that's just kind of weird for our species. And I think that there's a sense in which, I mean, I get this too, like, even when people comment on the podcast that they often don't realize that they're talking to a real human behind those comments, right? And so sometimes if you just treat the people who are talking to you like a real human, like, try to shut off the anger response and just try to connect with them, it can be incredibly powerful. And there's some examples of celebrities trying to do that where they like, you know, know connect with the trolls and be like what's going on with you like that you're so angry that you get this stuff it doesn't always work but it can be really powerful another thing that we can do like personally but i think we need to promote Across society is to find ways to be a little bit more empathic generally, um, and and just like is with other things, the science suggests there's some practices that we can do to do that. Like it's almost like a superpower where you can kind of charge up your compassion, um, which and then the data on that is like super powerful. It suggests that. If you're feeling empathy, then you're like just kind of seeing all the suffering in the world and you're experiencing that suffering yourself. You know, like you're thinking about the people who can't get health care and you feel really awful and that beats you down, that burns you out. But compassion is this emotion that allows us to turn on a caregiving response. It's like super action oriented. And all the, there's lots of science that suggests we can build that up. One way is through meditation, it's through a special kind of meditation known as loving kindness, where instead of just following your breath, You kind of give compassion to people and you think, may this person be happy, may they be safe and healthy. And you do that for easy people. Actually, people a lot start with their pets. You could start with your cat, like, may he be healthy and happy. But then you, you up the ante over your meditation and then you get to the hard people. You know, may that jerk who I made the mean comment about over Internet. You know, like, may he be happy, too, because, you know, whatever's going on with him, you know, he's just a human like me and he needs to be happy. And so those practices, it turns out. (laughs) I know, it's sad.
0: So nice.
1: But the data like it's like <laughs> no, it's, it's nice. It's uh, nice okay. It's it's yeah. like it's nice but it's also like neuroscientifically so interesting like if you look at the brains of monks who do this who do these compassionate meditations over time they can look at videos of suffering you know like people who are going through awful things and they can titrate the amount of compassion they feel so you can tell them a prompt like feel 50% of compassion for the sad people in this video or feel 10% of compassion and if you look in their brain like the pain regions of their brain they're like linearly titrated The amount of compassion you want them to feel, and so the awesome thing about these practices is it's like a superpower. It's like if you need to turn it on and be like, say, you know, you're talking with like a young millennial liberal who probably would vote for Biden if they could kind of you know hear each other out and hear you out, then you'll like turn on the compassion there and be like, okay, I just need to see things from their perspective a little bit more, be a little bit more patient, and then you get positive results. Versus like you know if you're dealing with I don't know some like super bigoted Trump supporter who like hates LGBTQ people, maybe. You won't use the compassion there right so you can kind of pick and choose how much you're using at any point which is so powerful to be able to do that
0: and basically we do that by practicing loving kindness meditations
1: yeah there's there we have some on the happiness lab podcast we like have some at the end of our podcast but you can get them anywhere it's basically just a practice where you just sit there and like think about the happiness of other people so the prompt is usually May you be happy. May you be safe. May you be well. And just kind of scroll through different people in your life, you know, like your your partner, like the barista at your coffee shop, that jerk on the Internet, the whole world, yourself. That's another good one is that sometimes we don't it's really hard to devote compassion to ourselves, especially in this tough time. But that can be a really powerful practice, too.
0: So then especially like, you know, within this tough time of all this isolation and anger and frustration and stuff, it's like, how can... How do these things like relate to and how can we do more of these happiness building exercises during this COVID fucking crisis?
1: Yeah. Well, you, like all good things in life, it takes a little work. And so, you know, in a time when everything feels so overwhelming, that can be hard. But baby steps, you know, do that one minute breath or take two minutes to do a loving kindness meditation or next time, you know, you're really pissed off at somebody. Just do it to that one person. Um, that's kind of, you know, we, in the beginning of the podcast, we talked about, you know, is can you actually affect your happiness? Is it built in? It's not built in you can you can do something about it but like doing something about all kinds of things is going to take a little bit of work um the good news is it doesn't actually take that much time like you know a minute two minutes these practices can have a big effect and the more you do them the easier they become to do they kind of can become habits in your life um which means the work that you put in now will be good saving work because you won't have to put that work in in the future
0: okay so but what if those things are like broccoli and you want cheese because like
1: <laughs> you know like yeah. a, 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 but you
0: don't want to you know literally get addicted to like the cheese or the cake or the whatever because like then your brain lies to you because that's like addiction that's not true joy yeah. and mommy I love like addictions I got 17 million of them but how can we do like true our brains not lying to us like you know vagus nerve not getting chased by tigers yeah. like really like fulfilling in they, if they were in recovery they would say like outer circle like yeah how can we get some good outer circle activities?
1: Yeah, and especially uh, like
0: alone, like alone ones that maybe don't cost too much.
1: Yeah, well, on the point of like you know that our mind lies to us. That I wish we could solve that one because it would make it every, every It would make it so much easier if we only craved the broccolis in life and not the like cheesy cupcakes in life. Whatever that metaphor. Like, but isn't there a harm
0: difference. reduction a little bit of a cheese for the broccoli? Isn't there like a. <laughs> Like if reduced fat wasn't so bad for you, but like isn't there like a isn't there like a like a like you like like a you like a nice organic grass fed cheese?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, the way it works is like, I mean, I'm not sure this food metaphor is going to work, but but the way it works is that through mindfulness and through these practices of noticing, you actually can start paying attention. Like, wait, hang on. Like, maybe the cheese kind of makes me feel bloated and whack afterwards, whereas the broccoli gives me energy. And when you know, I mean, again, the metaphor is not working. But the point is, is that like, <laughs> when we're when we're doing these things that are good for us, say you're meditating or say you take that conscious breath afterwards, just take a moment to be like, how'd that feel? Like, how did my body feel right now? And then, you know, notice it feels kind of good. And that can cause you to be more motivated to do it. And that's, that's critical to do because this is another way our brains are so stupid is that um, if you look at the neuroscience of, of how the brain works, we have different circuits in our brain for wanting and liking. So there's like one circuit of your brain that's the wanting part that's like, I crave this thing. Let me go out and work for it. Let me go after it. And then there's a totally different circuit that likes that thing. When you finally get it, how enjoyable is it? And these things can 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 split. Right. And so in addiction, if you've had addictions, you know, this works like if you're addicted to heroin, you really, really crave you really, really want the drug. But then when you finally get it, you're habituated to it. It's not even that good anymore. And so I feel like this happens all the time with so many things like I really, really crave, you know, making a super mean comment to someone on Twitter and then going back and check they like it. You know, what do they say? Like, I crave that. But then my wanting system is like, what the hell are you doing? This feels awful. Like, Why did you make yeah. do this you know and then there's the reverse you know like i don't i don't have craving i don't have that system kicking in to be like Lori, you need to hit your yoga mat today are you gonna feel really crummy like no one no no part of my brain is craving that but then when i finally do it my wanting system is like thank god thank god that you took time for yoga i think t- god that you took time for this conscious breath i feel so much better please do that again next time but it doesn't it doesn't click so it's just I guess a dumb that's like what of i mean
0: well, I think it's like, well, it's everyone's, it's not just yours, but it's like, i like my therapist is really into me, like sitting down and doing like a, th- you know, sit down for three minutes and do like three minutes of mindfulness every day. Yeah. And then I'll be like, like one of my favorite things to say to her is like, girl, I, but I did fucking like 40 minutes of yoga and I did Shavasana for five minutes. So I don't really want to have to go sit down three minutes outside of that because I already did it for 40 minutes. And but really part of my yoga practice is like wrapped up in like you know me wanting to sweat and me wanting to work out and me knowing that I get my little endorphin kick so it's like and I do feel like the Shavasana is mindfulness like it, I do feel like that but I if guess you do that's it, what I mean. you like, can also
1: just be like I'm going to bake this later today and I have to send this email and whatever No I really gotta, I, I really
0: will like lay there and like I like for a good like 3 minutes like I always have like it's like rain music so it's like not English words and I really do just like listen to my inhales and exhales and sometimes I'll like do a guided one in my head of like feel my head sinking into the floor and then feel my neck or I'll be like relax my tongue relax my tongue relax my brow relax my brow like I'll do it like through my body like that Um but the point is, is I feel like that's what I meant like that'll be like the cheese to my broccoli like if the broccoli is just sitting there without getting to do something a little bit because like it's just like fun to move a little bit but I'm like <clears throat> in recovery they like we would talk about like outer circle or just things that are like really good for you that like aren't destructive they aren't bad like you can afford it it's like if it like usually like it's associated like making your inner child feel you know more free so like to me, like kind of cooking is like an outer circle thing for me. Like I like, it's kind of fun for me. I can afford, I haven't gotten to do it for a long time. So it's like tumbling is like another one. Um, but I just didn't know if you had any like recommendations on like, I think yoga is definitely one.
1: Yeah, uh, I think or- it's honestly, it's like it can be like if you're mindful and you pay attention to what you really dig, you can find those. But I think you you need to pay attention because otherwise you get it wrong. Like we do this with leisure where it's like, I, you know, you finally get a break. And it's like, oh, my God, I'm just going to plop down and watch crappy TV. It's like that actually feels gross if you notice how it feels in your body sometimes. But then you're like actually, you know, cooking or doing something new or chatting with a friend or doing some yoga like those feel good. And so the key is that the outer circle, you're only going to find those things in the outer circle if you're really mindful, if you're kind of paying attention. Uh, but once you find them, like double down, because those are the things, even in baby steps of doubling down, that's what's going to make all the difference in this crazy time.
0: So at the end of getting curious, I uh, always ask, like, you know, it's like the little like yogi, yogini recess. Like, what did we talk or what did we not talk about that we needed to hit? honey? I mean, like, you really wanted to do like Arta Chandrasana and I just like was not teaching it today. So um, this is like the three minutes where like we... Could talk about whatever, like what did we miss? What did I need to like misconceptions on happiness or like what
1: yeah. what what
0: what do we need to talk about?
1: Um, I think you did a good job, which is awesome because we went all over the place. I think if if I was gonna end with one final thought, it would be that even in the worst of times, and I put this is pretty up there in the worst of times, honestly. Like there are strategies you can use to feel better, even when you're feeling super overwhelmed, even when it feels like you can't get out of bed, even if you feel like you're in the worst possible spot, there are active things you can do. And they're not platitudes. They're evidence based things that neuroscience and modern day research confirm will make you feel better. And that should be really empowering. That should be really empowering because it means at our worst points, we can take control. And I think that's a message that we all need to hear right now in the midst of this COVID-19 craziness.
0: Dr. Lori Santos, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you so much. Thanks for coming on Getting Curious.
1: Thanks for having me. It's been a while.
0: Don't you just love when someone looks at you and says, what were you up to last night? Well, no matter how late you were up the night before, Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops can help your eyes look more refreshed and awake. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute to help your eyes look brighter and whiter for up to eight hours. No wonder it has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. You won't believe your eyes. You know you can trust them, though, because they're made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb, and they're backed by six clinical studies. Eye doctors trust them, too. They're the number one recommended redness reliever eye drop. The one and only Lumify is an amazing drop that will have people saying something's different about you in the best way possible. So check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. My guest this week was Dr. Lori Santos. You'll find links to her work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn and thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe, Henny. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Curious at JVN. Our socials are run and curated by Emily Bosick. Getting Curious is produced by me, Julie Creo, Emily Bosick, Ray Ellis, Chelsea Jacobson, and Colin Anderson.